we begin in the middle of the story. Just like Christmas does in your life, the long foretold event finally comes to pass in the birth of Jesus. Generations have waited for this moment, and with his birth, a new air of hope and healing. You see, the nature of hope is that it is a longing, a longing for the not yet realized. You may not know what Christmas means right now, just like the Magi didn't know exactly what the star meant, only that something important was happening. And still a star leads us to Bethlehem, where the hopes and fears of every year come together. And a child's birth gives us hope for what is possible. I have never enjoyed starting the day before sunrise. At this hour, it feels like morning will never come, as though the whole world will be dark. We hear these days of such evil, far away and even in our own land. So many people are lost. Trust is betrayed, many people are uncertain about their future. Sometimes we, we stumble because we cannot see. And we feel afraid and alone. Where can we look for hope? Sometimes it does feel like morning may never come. But you never know when someone will turn on the light. you'll forgive me if I sit and put my feet up for a bit. I'm tired. You see, I'm pregnant. Did that surprise you? <sighs> Surprises no one as much as me, let me tell you that. <sighs> my name is Elizabeth, and I'm here to tell you a story. Have you ever had a label stuck to you whether you wanted it or not? I've had a few. I was the dutiful daughter born into a religious family. My father was a priest and I was taught the scriptures and to obey God. When I became a young woman, I married into the household of a priest. And so as a wife, I knew my responsibilities and I knew my path. And the next role was to be a mother, to fill my life and my heart and my household with children. Instead, a different label was waiting for me in some of the darkest days of my life. But the man that I married is a man named Zechariah. The match was arranged for us by our families. I was pleased. He made me laugh. I made him smile. I, on our wedding day, I looked into his eyes and I saw my future. The days were filled with promise. I was thankful to God. We were newlyweds. 
excited, nervous, hopeful, and we were young. So very young. We had dreams of the life we would build together, of a family. The word family meant something a little different to each of us, but for both of us, our visions included children. After a few months, you begin to wonder. After a few more months, your mother comes over to make sure all is going well with your new husband. But after a year, after a couple of years, you sense that your friend's concern has turned to pity, that the whispers in the market that cease when you arrive are probably about you. And then finally, someone will say it to your face, barren. Where there should be life, there was no life. What my body should be able to do, it would not do. Have you prayed? Yes, I've prayed. <laughs> In the quiet room while other people's homes fill with noise, with cries and laughter, with birthdays and song, with weddings and then even grandchildren, you've prayed you pray and you pray in the silence. But it was not only to me and to my husband that God had been silent, but to our people, Israel, supposedly God's chosen family. It had been 400 years since there'd been a prophet, since there'd been a new word, since there'd been a sign. 400 years. That's lifetimes I'll be honest God seemed very far away and some people gave up but my husband did not not just because he's a priest in his heart he's a regular man born and raised in the little town in which we live we're in the hills of Judea just outside Jerusalem close enough to be able to go into the city but far enough to avoid its fuss. And Zechariah has lived life with all its daily rituals and pains and glories. And he's always been the one who believed. It, it glows in him like the coals at the bottom of the fire. I'd like to say I'm like that too. I'm not. I know myself. I had doubts. I cried. And I even shouted, where are you? And received nothing in reply. In our culture, is it all that different from yours? Infertility is often seen as a sign that you've done something wrong. If not something medical, then something spiritual. And my even closest friends began to drift from my life as though I was contagious. 
And some of the men, the men whom Zechariah respected, suggested to him that he divorce me. Go find a new wife that'll bear you a son. He did not. Zechariah's view of the world is so much bigger than an empty cradle. Or maybe I should say, it's all about an empty cradle. Zechariah was a student of the scriptures, and he holds in his heart the prophecies of a son to be born, not his own, but of the root of Jesse, a son of King David, who would grow up to be Israel's Messiah. His deepest wish, his his constant hope was for the savior of our people to come. Well, through the years, the, the pain dulled, but the labels stuck. We were the childless couple. And finally, we realized that what had been so unlikely had then become impossible. We were too old. I'd like to say we'd made our peace with that, but it was more that the hope was just gone. That chapter closed. Or so I thought. (laughs) A little over five months ago, Zechariah's priestly order was assigned there a two-week stint in the temple in Jerusalem. This happens every two years. So I got his clothes ready and pressed his robes and sent him on his way. As we've grown older, I know Zechariah prefers to just be home. He's more comfortable here, but I still see that little glint of excitement in his eye as he heads off to the holy city. For a priest, especially one who loves God like Zechariah does, it is always a thrill to be in the temple in Jerusalem. We cannot all go to the temple every day, so the priests, they act as our representatives, offering a morning sacrifice each day, a sacrifice of a lamb as an atonement for our sins, and burning incense in that sacred, holy place of the temple. The incense rises up to God. It's representative of our prayers being lifted up and accepted by God. Now, the sacrifice makes me shiver. An innocent being slaughtered for me. But the image of the incense, now that, that has always seemed lovely. It's not that I've ever seen it, neither had Zechariah. For these rolls are drawn by lot each day, and there are thousands of priests that serve in the temple. They are divided into 24 groups, and each order rotates through twice a year through their duties. A man could go his entire year, his entire lifetime, of his service in the temple and never be afforded that opportunity to perform the offering. Have you ever noticed that when change happens, it comes as a surprise? <laughs> it can be like an ordinary Wednesday and you're, you're washing your bed sheets when something extraordinary happens. And so it was on this regular day 
when something highly irregular happened. Zechariah was chosen by Lot to offer the incense. Just think of it. I know him well enough that I can imagine his surprise. And then I can see him pondering through in his mind, will he remember all the steps? Where is he supposed to stand? When does he act? He has to do it perfectly because he only has one chance. Then he searches his own soul and his conscience. After all, he's going to be entering the holiest place in the temple and offering our prayers to God. The weight of this responsibility is upon him, and he realizes he's trembling. And he stands and he straightens his robes. He chooses two priests to come with him to help prepare the space. And I believe that's when he thinks of me. If only Elizabeth could see me now. This is the biggest moment of his whole career, his whole life. And I really do wish I could have seen him. After the two priests cleared away the remains from the previous day's offering and then placed upon the altar the coals from the morning sacrifice, they left the room. And for a moment, Zechariah was in that space alone, standing in front of the holy golden altar lit by its elaborate candlesticks, holding the gold bowl of incense in his hands. Outside, there was a large crowd of worshipers gathering, but inside this holy place, there was a hush. It was so somber and beautiful and peaceful, that for an instant, Zechariah forgot what he was there for. He just wanted to stay and remain in God's presence. And then he remembered. (laughs) Kindle the incense, bow down, get out. (laughs) So as he was lifting his head from bowing down, he looked over and saw that someone was standing by the altar. Was not a man, that much was clear, more of a heavenly figure, a messenger, an angel. And Zechariah spoke with him. (laughs) Turns out those would be the last words he would speak for uh, nine months. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, the angel said. What prayers, I wondered, till I realized all of them, all of them, Not one of our prayers had drifted off into some distant, wrong corner of the sky. They had all been heard, and some of them were about to be answered. And then, the angel mentioned me. (laughs) Your wife, Elizabeth, he said, will bear a son. I have to tell you, I missed the last part of that sentence. I was so excited and, and just astonished and really humbled that the angel knew my name, Elizabeth. But then, wait, what? <laughs> yes. The angel said we would have a son, our son. His name would be John. And he would bring his people joy. He would prepare the people for the coming of the one who is greater. He means the Messiah, Zechariah insists. 
And he insists by pointing to what he's written. And he writes because of what he did next. Zechariah questioned the angel and asked for a sign. (sighs) How can I be sure of this, Zechariah asked. For I am very old and my wife is way past childbearing years. Funny to me that a man who trusts that God could put right the whole world stumbles over one tiny unexpected baby. Now I know all this because he's written it for me. Painstakingly, night after night, we have continued the story. He writes, I read, we sleep, or try to, I lay awake. In the silence, listening. And I can hear God, not clearly, not right away. It's more like a a rumble that comes in the distance, an unquiet feeling in my soul. Elizabeth, the silence, said, I am here. At first, I was afraid, like when Zechariah saw the angel. And then, like him, when I dared to speak, it was with my questions. Why had God not answered our prayer for a child before this? Why had God chosen us now? 30 years ago, sure, maybe even 20. But now? I don't want it like I did when I was young, but still... When I, when I picture, after all this time, myself and Zechariah holding a baby, no, this is stirring up too much. I don't want to open it. I know that feeling, and I'm afraid to go back there. It's hope. I was terrified to attach my hope to this baby, to my son, Even though as the weeks began to progress and I noticed changes in my body to my utter astonishment, there is a tiny person taking shape in here, preparing to enter this unpredictable world. But what if the pregnancy failed? What if we do something wrong? What if we make a mistake? What if we don't raise him right? What if it all falls apart? I was restless. Until one night, the words came, well, not words exactly. In my mind, I saw the temple and the incense rising and a flash of gold, and someone said, your prayers have been heard. And I sat right up in bed because I suddenly understood the place to attach my hope was to the God who had moved Where there was silence, now there was noise. Where there had been no word, now there was prophecy. And where there had been no life, (laughs) life is kicking me in the gut. Oh, I could finally lie back and relax. And when the sun rose, I felt more rested than I had in weeks. Those anxieties were gone. 
and I gave myself a new label. Hopeful. (sighs) Do you ever wonder why one woman has a child and another does not? Do you ever wonder why one man is sick and another is not? Are we punished? Are we taught a lesson? Are we unloved or forgotten or lost? I don't think so. Friends, this world is broken. Our lives don't work. Our bodies don't work as they should. And this can make you bitter. Or it can make you bold. For years inside, I was sharp and hurting. My heart had broken so many times. I didn't want to hope anymore. I didn't want to hurt. And so I stopped hoping. To continue to hope, we must be brave. We must take someone at his word And we must be unashamed in our belief that there indeed are beautiful and better days ahead, even if we can't see it. It's a little bit like learning you're pregnant. You have a hunch. You might have some symptoms. But you don't have any baby in your arms. You're going to have to wait nine long months before you can touch what's been happening right under your very nose. But you act as if. You live as if. And you live it until you see things change. The world waits. All of us together and each of us individually, I understand it so much better now. We wait. The world waits for its redeemer, but you and I, we may see him. We may know him. Do you believe this? There is a God, and he is active. He is working where I cannot see. He is doing things I do not understand. He is making life where there was no life. He will strike the match that will light up the world. Friends, he's given me so much more than a baby. He's given me back my hope. There's a song in my soul And I feel it stirring in me This I know for sure that your love is like a flood and your mercy never ending I give my song to you there's a joy in my soul and it rises like the morning this I know for sure that your grace is enough and your promise never breaking I give my songs to you All of your goodness
glad we have stories like Elizabeth's in the Bible. I mean, real people facing real problems and asking real questions. And aren't we glad we have gifted people like Pastor Ruthie, who brought Elizabeth to life for us today? And uh, Megan Blosser, who wrote our script for us today. And aren't we glad that I didn't have to dress up like Elizabeth, okay? Very glad about that. The story we heard today is based on a reliable ancient document written by a historian and a physician named Luke. Now, we obviously don't know exactly what these characters were thinking and feeling. 
We have to use our imaginations for that, which we did for a few minutes here today. But their words and their actions reveal something about what they were thinking and feeling. And we know our own thoughts and feelings in circumstances like those. Some of you know the particular heartache that Elizabeth and Zechariah were facing, infertility, childlessness. It's a very personal heartache because it strikes at one of the deepest longings a human being or a couple can have. But it's also a public heartache because at a certain point, people know. They begin to wonder and whisper and ask questions, often questions that aren't very helpful. And it can be a prolonged heartache that goes on for years and maybe even a lifetime. If you or someone you know is walking through that heartache, we'd like you to know we have a group of folks here at Grace that get together to offer them each other some support on that journey. We call it Pathways to Parenthood. And it's for anybody who's experiencing any kind of difficulties on the road to parenthood, whether that's infertility or miscarriage or adoption challenges, those sorts of things. You can find out more information on our website, grace.org slash pathways to parenthood, or ask any one of us about it. But that, of course, is just one of many heartaches we can encounter in life. Chances are every one of us here today have some hopes, some dreams that have not yet been fulfilled. If not hopes for a child, then maybe hopes for a healing, hopes to meet someone special, hopes for our education or our career or our retirement, maybe hope for someone you love to come back home again or, or to find their way back to God. Some of us have been carrying those hopes for a long time, so long that like Elizabeth, you're almost afraid to, to open them up again. So what's the message of Elizabeth and Zechariah's story? What hope do we take home from this presentation today? Is it that we get what we want if we wait long enough? That if we pray hard enough, God will grant our request? Well, not exactly. Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't get exactly what they wanted. What they wanted was a child when they were young, when other people their age were having children, when they had vision and energy for starting a family and building a home. What they got was disappointment month after month after month after month. And those disappointing months turned into disappointing years and decades of embarrassment and loneliness and gnawing doubt. Now, for sure, they were grateful and, and excited when their hope was finally realized and they heard this great news, but it wasn't going to be easy raising a child at their age under such unusual circumstances. And while they probably didn't leave, live to see it, their child, their son, John, the baptizer, would die a tragic and untimely death. So Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't get exactly what they were wanting, And we know from experience that many people never get some of the things they're hoping for, whether it's a child or a marriage or a particular job or a healing or some reconciliation. So the message of this story isn't that we get what we want. It's that God will be there for us. 
that his presence, his comfort, his strength, his grace will be enough to to see us through that season and even to do something good with our hopes and, and even with our heartaches. Hope in the Bible isn't wishful thinking. It's not a childhood fantasy. It's not this naive notion that if we wait long enough or pray hard enough or have enough faith that we'll get what we want. Hope in the Bible is the confident expectation that God can and will do something good, even if it's not what we expected. So hope is a childless couple believing that God can satisfy the longings of their hearts with or without a child. Hope is a single mom believing that God can provide the strength and resources to raise her children. Hope is a widower finding comfort in the presence of God and the assurance that he'll see his beloved again someday. Hope is a student believing that God still has a future for him, even if he didn't get into the school that he was hoping to. Hope is a parent or a grandparent knowing that God is working in the heart of a child who's wandered from home or from faith. Hope is a doubter still clinging to the possibility that God is there, that he'll reveal himself. Hope is a sinner believing that God still loves them and is ready to forgive them and offer them a fresh start in life. That really is where hope begins when we invite Christ into our heartaches and ask him to heal and forgive our past, to to secure our future in this life and the life to come, and to be with us in all the experiences of life. So hope is listening, even when it seems like God is silent. It's looking, even when there seems to be nothing on the horizon. Hope is waiting, even when the answer is a long time coming. So I don't know what particular ache your heart may be feeling these days. And whether it's aching for yourself or for someone that you know. I don't know if God seems near or far to you today. But the message of this story is that God is there. He sees, he knows, he hears. Your prayers have not drifted off to some forgotten corner in the sky. And on this ordinary Sunday in Advent, God can meet you or someone you love in a season of heartache and bring you hope the expectation that he can and will do something good, even if it's not what you were expecting, even if it's a long time coming. So that's a lot to process here in one morning. God gave to Elizabeth and Zechariah nine months of silence to think, to sit with their hopes and their fears. I'd like to give you a minute to sit with your hopes and your fears, your heartaches, to actually name them, bring them to God, invite him to meet you or someone you love in this particular season. So we're going to just play a little bit of soft music just to kind of cover up the noise in the room here. We're going to put a couple of prayer prompts on the screen just to help you get started as you talk to the Lord privately. You might begin with a simple prayer that goes, Lord, my heart is aching today for... And name something or someone that you find yourself aching for today. Tell the Lord all about it. And then a prayer is something like, Lord, help me to believe that. 
and invite the Lord to bring to you or one you love whatever they might need in this moment. And if you have never, ever, for the first time, invited Christ into your life to forgive you and to set you free, to secure your future in heaven and lead you into new and better life, you can do that in the quietness of these moments as well. So let's pray for a moment, and then I'll wrap things up. Lord, for hearing our prayers today, prayers that are rising like incense from every one of our locations, wherever someone's listening and responding right now, their prayer is rising and is being heard by you. Thank you for the assurance that you not only hear, but you respond. You know, and you're ready to move and act and to bring help and healing and hope. And so, Lord, for anyone here today or anyone on our mind who might need a special kind of hope today, we pray that your spirit would move in their heart, that the words and the stories and the songs we've been singing might minister encouragement and hope to them. And, Lord, for those of us who have found hope in you, may we share it freely with those we love and with the world that is desperate for it. Thank you for being hope to the world in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.